Hi there. Thanks for stopping by and welcome. I'm Josh. And this is Dharma Punks New York. Just a couple of very brief announcements. If you're in the mood to and available to join us in New York City on New Year's Eve, we'll be having our event, which we used to have on an annual basis before the pandemic interceded. It's a sober event. Uh, I believe it will start at uh, 10.30 uh, Center Yoga on 23rd Street off of Park Avenue, really central location. There'll be a Dharma talk, be time to share, connect. There'll be meditation. And there will be a 2,500-year-old Buddhist refuge intention setting. So in the aftermath, if you feel like saying, I've become a Buddhist, you can. And you'll wind up with some strings with knots around your wrist, if you like, representing some of the core principles of Buddhist spiritual practice. But again, that's all optional. So if you would like to join us, you can find the information on dharmapunks with an xnyc.com. If you're up at eight o'clock in mornings, Kathy does her daily pause. And the information's on the website too. In accordance with uh, early Buddhist teaching, I do not charge anything for anything that I do. Uh, for any of the counseling, for any of the teaching, everything is by donation only. If you would like to support my work, the Venmo is Dharma Punks with an XNYC. And the PayPal's on the website. So thank you for that. And um, tonight I'm talking about both seasonal affective disorder and the holiday blues. And they do have symptoms in common, but there also is some distinctions between the, the two conditions or frequent visitors this time of year. So I'm going to start first with seasonal affective disorder, which is a period of mood dysregulation that sets in as the days grow shorter um, during the autumn and winter. And while 3% of the population has it pretty significantly requiring um, medication, 15% manifest symptoms and fully over 20% of people with any degree of proneness to dysthymia uh, which is uh, ongoing to lower-grade depression, uh, are significantly affected by it as well. So what is SAD? Well, for seasonal affective disorder, it's associated with um, sluggishness, uh, fatigue, difficulty, getting up in the morning, conflict and irritation with family and friends, Increased sleep uh, and appetite for complex carbs, uh, and that's because complex carbs are very often precursors for dopamine. Dopamine uh, 
uplifts mood. We'll talk more about that. And there's also very often inclination to withdraw from social activities. Very often in colder, shorter days, people's uh, right hemispheres become slightly more dominant than during the warmer, longer summer days, which are more associated with uh, forward, rewarding, engaged activities associated with left frontal lobe. So why do we have seasonal affective disorder? Well, there's the brain has a master clock. The less light we see during the day not only affects the thyroid, but there's the super chiasmatic expialidocious. No, it's super chiasmatic nucleus, which is this uh, region right above where your optical nerves cross. And this is the region of the brain that uh, regulates, as memory serves, the circadian rhythms, the sleep-wake cycles, energy, alertness, digestion, even blood pressure. But what it leads to, through various processes, it influences the levels of dopamine, which essentially, as the days grow shorter, dopamine levels drop by as much as between 5 and 10%. That's a huge, huge drop in terms of mood uh, plummets. And also there's a reduction of serotonin. So anybody who knows anything about um, just the most basics of neurotransmitters, when you lower both dopamine and serotonin, what you're going to wind up with is anxiety and anhedonia. Anhedonia is essentially a diminution of joy uh, in activities that used to bring happiness and reward. We no longer find activities rewarding. So it's unpleasant, seasonal affective disorder. But there's. it should be noted that in many ways, the fact that we've given it a disorder pathologizes an actually very natural, inherent internal rhythm of biological bodies. You see, we live in an abstract calendar that's removed from the natural seasons. And in our calendar, we are, you know, especially under capitalism, expected to be productive throughout the calendar year without any without any slowing down, without any need for additional rest or time off. And this is inherently an unnatural expectation that cultures and societies place on human bodies. You see, there's a role for uh, downshifting uh, both social engagement and activity in that it switches us to the parasympathetic nervous system, which allows our, our body's time to heal and rejuvenate after a long year of work. So it's actually inherently wrong to expect people to be steadily productive with the same level of energy and, and the same mood throughout the year. If you look at our most 
closest relatives in the animal kingdom, such as chimpanzees. Chimpanzees actually spend more than three times as much uh, of the day in trees during cold and wet seasons. Now, people hear this and they think, well, maybe that's because there's not as much food on the ground. So they're just hibernating by because there's nothing to pick, but that's actually not the case. There's an available bioavailability of food throughout the year. Chimps just spend more time relaxing in trees during the cold and wet seasons to essentially regulate homeostasis, to repair their bodies, to heal. And when we expect people to not do that, to work as hard, to to get as much done, the expectations are not only wholly unrealistic, but there's a lot of evidence that disrupting natural circadian cycles increases the risk of heart attack and obesity, so uh, as well as other psychological dysfunction. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, seasonal affective disorder is real, but also the expectation that we should have the same amount of energy, the same mood, the same uh, stamina that we have in our summer months during our winter months. It's just wholly, um, it's, it's, it pathologizes a very natural process. Successful cultures embrace the ebb and energy and flow of energy and loss of productivity, especially Norwegians, which change not only work habits, but uh, embrace the natural cycles by uh, actively encouraging more socializing while expecting less productivity during the winter months. But Will that ever happen in American capitalism? I suspect not, but it's worth noting. Um, to For those of us who do have significant dysthemia or mood dysregulation during this time of year, seasonal affective disorder is very treatable. Uh, full spectrum light therapy. I have my own full spectrum light. They're cheap. You can get them on different websites for, uh, I don't know how much it was, but it wasn't expensive. And you just put it on your desktop. You don't shine it in your face. You just have it to the side, turn it on and it tricks your brain into thinking it's getting more sunlight than it actually is. It will help, uh, regulate mood. Uh, of course, um, what any uh, neurologist will tell you is that exercise releases the bliss neurotransmitter and uh, anandamide. Anandamide, guess what? It's, an, uh, it's a cannabinoid. It's your brain natural <laughs> weed. <laughs> uh, it's, it makes people feel wonderful uh, it plays a very positive role in the neurotransmission of dopamine and serotonin and GABA. So getting that 20 minutes on the uh, treadmill or on the bike 
if you raise your heartbeat above 130 beats per minute or so, you'll actually help your brain upregulate dopamine and you'll make yourself far less susceptible to mood plummets during this time of year. So that's a good thing, right? Um, taking the amino acid tyrosine is a precursor for dopamine, as is phenylalanine. That's uh, how you spell that. It's like P-H-E-N-Y-L-A-L-I-N-E, phenylalanine. Memory serves another precursor to dopamine. Uh, taking melatonin in the late afternoon can help adjust the cycles, uh, the circadian rhythms. Um, for those who have severe uh, seasonal affective disorder, Wellbutrin is a pharmaceutical uh, FDA approved, generally well tolerated medication. It's also the same drug that treats depression and helps people get off of tobacco dependence. So there's that. Uh, and also sometimes Stratera has been known to help, which is a ADHD medication, but that's non-addictive. Um, I will also note that there's many studies that show a significant de decrease in depressive symptoms if you practice 20 minutes a day of, of concentration meditation. Studies show that it shrinks the gray matter in the amygdala and actually uh, adds more gray matter to the cingulate prefrontal cortex. Uh, so you know what? You're going to be able to regulate moods much more efficiently and much less prone to mood plummets. So that's something we'll definitely practice tonight. So enough with the seasonal affective disorder. What about the holiday blues? Well, we all have culturally instilled stereotypical portrayals that we see all the time in the media of, uh, you know, holiday seasons being comprised of jolly spirits, relaxed family gatherings, lively, cathartic office parties, people bearing glad tidings and vacationing and the like. And it's all just a illusion that's foisted upon us to just trigger FOMO, uh, to just make us feel that we're doing something wrong. Surveys, in fact, show that far from being the season that's invariably happy, while 40% of the population are more cheerful during the holidays, just as many respondents report being more anxious and depressed. So, in fact, there is no such thing as the, you know, the blissful holiday time of year. Some people, uh, it evokes positive memories. Some people, it evokes negative memories or stress. Uh, and what's interesting is for people who do experience a mood boost, they very quickly after the holidays return to their baseline levels, which is the levels they had before the holidays. But people who have negative emotional shifts take far longer. <laughs> so if you're one of the, the lucky 40% that finds the holidays stressful or difficult, then guess what? It'll take you a little longer to restore back up to the level before the holidays. So holidays dysphoria 
um, is similar to seasonal affective in that we have the irritability, the fatigue, and the anhedonia, which is once again not experiencing joy from activities that previously we did find uh, enlivening. But there's also... Um, it it activates very addictive behaviors, binging on alcohol, weed, shopping. It is also associated with uh, activation of core shame, a feeling that there's something unlovable or unwanted in oneself. So what are the causes of, the hol- of what I call holiday blues or holiday dysphoria? Well, one is... Many people have chronic stress that is exacerbated by the overwhelming schedule that could happen during the holidays where we're expected to not only continue to work, but also to shop and meet unrealistic expectations. Some people do experience, many people experience FOMO, a sense that everyone else there has a place to go, but I don't. Therefore, there's something unlovable or unpopular about me. Many people are, on the other hand, very anxious about social gatherings they are expected to attend, especially family gatherings, as those can evoke early memories of childhood traumas and emotional wounds. So some people feel uh, uh, lonely, disconnected, and fear of missing out. Other people, on the other hand, feel anxious about having to connect and return to triggering figures. So there's something in this for everyone. Um, uh, The holidays can evoke uh, memories of lost loved ones because very often as families get together during the holidays, then it exacerbates memories of people who have passed or who are no longer uh, available. Um, Some people during the pandemic I worked with also felt a grave concern that uh, older loved ones might contract the COVID virus during the holidays. So it activated a degree of anxiety there. And uh, of course, On top of that all, there's the financial stress from traveling and having to gift and all that. So you got this wonderful ball of anxiety and FOMO and uh, memories of lost loved ones or triggered memories of disappointments from childhood, chronic stress from just the fatigue of the year and the scheduling overwhelm. And then you wrap it up with a bow of financial stress. And for some, this can be a very difficult time of year, understandably. And of course, the prolonged COVID pandemic only heightened the effects of holiday dysphoria, especially for those who already feel a little bit isolated or anxious. One psychologist I know basically noted there was a tsunami of mood disorders during the holiday seasons of the pandemic. Many people reporting just profound states of hopelessness that life would never return to previous, easier, more connected memories. So it can evoke a kind of 
nostalgia that seems kind of at the same time uh, difficult. So what is the the key way in approaching any uh, mood dysregulation, uh, despair, depression, dysthymia, uh, difficulties during this time of year? Well, it's important to note that, unfortunately, due to the plethora of images of uh, which we've been bombarded with of positive holiday images. Um, it's very difficult for many people to acknowledge that they feel this time of year is difficult. And so it leads to concealing their emotions, masking their facial and body expressions to hide their current um, emotional state, their affective state. Um, but the only way to really regulate an emotion is to disclose it, to signal it to others. The human brain is a co-regulating brain. We don't lastingly regulate our feelings, our emotions, our moods without connecting with others. But unfortunately, of course, if we feel there's something wrong with us, because it, we're told that everyone else is happy during a certain time of year or is uh, jolly or whatever, then it activates the sense of um, uh, obligation to conceal, which makes us feel only more isolated. It only amplifies the distress and negative consequences of um the the depression that might or the the disappointment that might be evoked there was a famous study by james pennebaker and colleagues uh, sometime uh, right before the year 2000 that demonstrated that people who conceal or suppress their emotions hinder their immune systems and become more vulnerable to a variety of illnesses, you know, hardening of the arteries, i.e. arteriosclerosis, diabetes, obesity, and so on. And there's, of course, a lot of studies that show that emotionally expressive patients fare much better than patients who um, don't express their emotions, who generally have higher mortality rates. So concealing our emotional fragility from others uh, might seem uh, like it's the safer thing to do because it stems from the fear that exposing our internal states will be, will be seen as less desirable, will be seen as there's something wrong with us. Some feel that expressing emotional pain makes us to be even more likely to be overcome by despair. It's the opposite. Expressing feelings does not in any way increase mood dysregulation. It generally is associated with mood regulation. So it actually helps naming it to tame it, turning affects into words that are conveyed to others, engages your left frontal lobe, which regulates the emotions. 
Um, but it's understandable that the one thing that is the solution people are most scared of, because if we don't expect others to receive our vulnerability with care and validation, if we believe our openness will result in being dismissed or shamed or other people trying to fix us, then we'll clam up. We'll try to act as if everything's okay. We'll try to avoid social gatherings in the hope that it'll pass. But over time, we'll feel isolated and unique, and that only worsens the sense of shame. Shame is that sense there's something wrong, broken, unlovable about me. So there's no two ways about it. The essential path to addressing holiday uh, difficulties is to share our feelings and emotions with an appropriate friend, counselor, online. Additionally, Pennebaker notes that writing in a journal regulates emotions. Um, many people who do art therapy find it uh, helps uh, in a cathartic way release the stress. It's important to avoid excessive alcohol and uh, intoxicant intake because that diminishes our ability to express our emotions skillfully. It actually leads to mood dysregulation. And uh, we, most people, as you know, if they wait, uh, to make the phone call that they should have made when they were sober, if they wait until they're drunk, they almost never get, uh, they actually push people away rather than bring people closer. So it's important to practice first connecting, not reaching for a substance. Uh, lots of uh, benefits accrue from visualizing supportive figures uh, as a internal practice of uh, ingraining secure attachment or a secure sense of attachment. So visualizing figures that are appreciative helps not only uh, with also some placing hands on our heart centers to activates the vagal nerve, makes us feel safer, makes us, it helps us um uh, regulate our autonomic nervous system. Uh, in addition to uh, sharing our emotions, visualizing supportive figures, which we'll do in our meditation practice, uh, a couple of other notes, and also the exercise I mentioned, um, challenging the must or should, which are all essentially uh uh, lures that bait us into despair. The musts and shoulds are basically all or nothing ideas that the holidays have to con are, that our holiday has to conform to some kind of social norm, and that if in any way we deviate, that means there's something wrong with us. It's sometimes uh, much more efficient to embrace. And to, if we don't have a family to go to, to go to another gathering, but to not sit and uh, simply despair what we don't have, but to actively move into what is available to us and also let go of the idea that we have to live up to some kind of uh, 
uh, norm. There is no norm. Again, 40% of the population just finds this time of year difficult. Just as many people find it difficult as feel find this time easy. So there's nothing abnormal or wrong. And uh, it's important to maintain healthy sleep, uh, which is not sleeping too much, but definitely not sleeping too little, trying to go for that mystical eight or nine hours. Um, and finally, I'd like to put in a pitch for. Uh, because my role is in so much providing Buddhist therapeutic support to others, it's important to, during this time of year, honor whatever feelings are evoked, it's, whether it's grief or sadness or loss, trying to drink, avoid, act as if it's not there. In our meditation practice, we can actually make appointments in a not overwhelmingly bleak way to simply become aware of what feelings and what uh, content is being evoked. And we can use this, our practice, as a way to connect and pay attention to that part of ourself that's missing people or missing uh elements of our childhood or previous periods of our life that were positive or at the same time connect with those parts of ourselves that are triggered by this time of year because it's associated with some form of trauma or emotional wound and so that's what we're going to be doing a bit we'll be doing some concentration which uh helps upregulate dopamine but then we'll do a little bit of a kind of investigation of what's present what's being evoked this time of year and through mindfulness for so thanks for listening i hope that that talk was in some way worth listening to and now what i'd like to invite you to do is to find a really comfortable seated position and not look at the screen um Look away from your iPhone, your smartphone, your computer, your laptop, so that you definitely are not seeing little Zoom windows or my face. You are actually going to first look around your room and find something, either a window or something you can settle your gaze on that's relaxing. And then... Uh, when you're ready, lean in or sit in a comfortable position, close your eyes, and try to bring your attention into your body. And start by resting your attention on your eyes. Do your eyes feel settled? Closing your eyelids, of course. Do your eyes feel relaxed or are they jumping about behind the eyelids? And just take this time if there seems to be a lot of activity, even though your eyes are closed, if your eyes still seem like they're jumping about looking for information, just 
send your eyes a compassionate message of it's okay, we can relax. There's nothing to be on the lookout for. Let's take this time to rest. You can imagine breathing into your eyes and just allowing your eyes to settle in whatever way feels comfortable. If you'd like to yawn, that's fine. I just did. It's very relaxing and soothing. Yawn helps engage parasympathetic states, which is what we're we're trying to downmodulate your nervous system from stress to ease. So bring your attention, if you'd like, to the muscles around the mouth. And if it feels like there's anything clenched or tight, or if you can form a facial expression that's not forced, but evokes a sense of ease or confidence, And then bringing our awareness to our shoulders. And if you'd like, lift your shoulders up towards your ears. Roll them back so that they're rolling back towards your chair or just your back. And then drop your shoulders away from your ears so that your shoulders feel like they're hanging heavily off your torso. And pulling back the arms so that your chest is very open. Lots of space for the breath. And if you'd like, you can place one or both hands on your heart center just to both stimulate that the dorsal vagal nerve and just also to feel the sense of being connected with. Also, when we let rest a hand on our heart center, it can help us be aware of just how often we're breathing in or out. feeling the expansion of the in-breath and the release of the exhalation. Bringing awareness down to the abdomen and just softening the belly. Allowing the belly, the abdomen to Expand and contract without any hindrance as you breathe. When we're 
chronically tense or stressed, the belly doesn't move at all. It feels kind of rigid when we breathe. But what you want is a feeling of the belly expanding with the in-breath and energy moving up it. And then a belly that releases with the exhalation. And let's just, just become aware of the movement, the somatic expression of the breath and the body as energy moving up from the belly into the chest as we inhale. And then energy being released down from the chest to the belly, which releases as we exhale. It can feel kind of like the tides of a body of water, waves rolling in and out. The in-breath is like a wave rolling into shore. The exhalation is like the water retreating back out to sea. And of course, just like at the beach, where we hear the sound of the waves, there's also the slight sound of air being brought in by the nose or mouth. So see if we can spend some time just resting and bringing our attention to this very natural ongoing set of sensations that keeps us alive throughout the entire course of our lifetime. And just keep on returning to this, trying to make your breath as soothing and pleasant. And when you're Awareness floats away, lured by a thought or a memory, a plan, or simply some external event. Just gently bring it back again and again. The point of concentration is it's perhaps the most efficient way to not only lead to that much desired secretion of dopamine from striatal regions of the brain, it makes us feel better. It helps, it gives us a way out of repetitive intrusive thoughts. So just keep on gently returning back to this breathing without any judgment. If your mind wanders a hundred times, that's fine. That means you get to return your mind to the breath, your awareness to the breath a hundred and one times.
And for those of you who just find it too difficult staying with the breath, you can also add in awareness of sounds from your environment. Just tracking the ongoing array of sensations, both external and internal. Giving your mind enough to focus on so that thoughts and internal dialogue will, you'll have a break from all the inner babble.
if these words finds you with your mind wandering away from the breath or sounds around you, and you're lost in, caught up in some story or some images of events that are not present right now, that's okay, just come back and just use this as a invitation to put just the smallest amount of more effort into just focusing on the breath just a little bit more. At this point, you can continue with your practice as you see fit, or you can practice a little bit of the mindfulness practice where we're going to investigate what is attached to moods or challenges this time of year. By attached, I mean what earlier experiences are being evoked. So bring to mind any emotionally resonant event that's occurred recently and this, of course, could be any event associated with the holidays or the anything evoked by this time of year, or it could be just any resonant recent emotional experience. And the key is just to try to represent the experience or whatever this time of year represents to you as an image in your mind. If it's an image of other people gathering happily, 
while we feel alone, just hold an image representing that. If it's a representation of being engulfed or overwhelmed by social expectations, hold a visual uh, that represents that. Just let your mind create some kind of we could call triggering image. If this time of year evokes lost loved ones or people that are just live a great distance away that we can't connect with, just evoke their image. This time of year evokes a feeling of not doing well enough. Just hold an image that represents that. We don't want to tell a story. We don't want to add any thoughts. We just want to find an image that represents whatever this time of year, if it's a struggle, brings to mind. And then when you hold the image in your mind, without telling a story, without turning it into a litany of thoughts about oneself, just bring your awareness into your body and see what this resonant image activates in your body. What do you feel? what's there. Think of it as what we sometimes refer to as an inner child speaking to us through the body. Sometimes the somatic cues are very distinct, like a suddenly tight throat or suddenly a sense of faster respiration or a sense of tears. But sometimes the somatic cues are pretty subtle, just a sense of hollowness in the chest, a subtle tightness in the abdomen, a kind of decrease of energy, a heaviness in the body. And you might not find the somatic markers beneath that are signaling the presence of older Feelings, feelings that stem from previous periods of our life that felt challenging. But if you can find something that seems to have shifted, just ask it, 
what can I do for you? Or just ask it, what does this feeling remind me of? You might find that older memories start to drift up. What else is here? What else seeks my attention? And lastly, if there's some way you can reassure this feeling that it's okay, that in our adult life, nothing is as overwhelming as the disappointments we experienced in our developing years. So whatever this, whatever feelings are evoked, they're evoked from a time where we had so much less agency, so much less resources, so much less ability to express ourselves. Our feelings are always evoked from experiences in the past. They overlay on the present, filtering and shading We learn to turn towards it, we can soothe. reassure and integrate rather than run from what's generally consigned to the margins of the mind.
So thank you for your practice.